Hi, friends. Welcome to the Church Abused Coach podcast with me, Laurie Sullivan, an author, teacher, wife, mother, Nana, ex-minister's wife, survivor, Jesus-loving daughter of a fantastic, faithful, and ferocious God. If you, like me, have been abused by a minister or church and want to be heard, to heal, to live in hope, I am so glad you're here. In this podcast, we will break the silence on this issue, actively pursue healing, and determine, choose, pick, declare to live victorious anyway. Are you ready for that? Come on, grab that coffee, pour that tea, sip your straw, and let's begin. I replied to the well-dressed divorce lawyer and his mocking tone about my divorce from a minister. My husband didn't give me my faith. He can't take it from me. Nigma, can I ask you a question? Franklin said. Tearfully, I answered yes. Are you cheating on Saeed? He asked bluntly. What? Oh boy, does any of this sound familiar to the Christian divorced woman? Divorce lands differently for a Christian gal. The mocking, the doubt of our own integrity... Let's find some healing in today's episode by diving into some survivor stories, because you, sister, are not alone. Coaching available to promote the healing that will allow you to find abundant life in Christ and live victorious anyway. Four sessions are offered at the introductory price of $199. Hop onto my website, www.victoriousanyway.co. Scroll on to the Church Abuse Coach section, sign up. There are 15 spots available, so grab one now. Today we dive into the survivor story of Nygma and I so sincerely apologize for all my American pronunciation. Nigma Abednini Pahahi, and into my own survivor story. I will be reading from Nigma's book, I Didn't Survive, which was published this year and can be Nigma's book, I Didn't Survive, which was published this year and can be purchased wherever books are sold. Both of us are Christian gals who have loved Jesus from our youth. Both of us knew the Bible and were committed to our relationships to God. We both found Christian men to marry who were committed to ministry. And that brought a light into our eyes as we wanted so badly to work alongside a man of God and lead people to real and deep relationships with Christ. Today, we are divorced Christian women, still in love with Christ and sporting scars from domestic abuse. Furthermore, we were abused by the man of God, who was also our husband. Furthermore, the church of us. Today, our stories are told here on the Church Abused podcast 
to provide support for our podcast focus number two, Find the Healing. And today we do that through you knowing, dear listener, that you are not alone. There are survivors. So let's get into that. Um, people always ask, how did this happen? Didn't you know? Why didn't you just leave? Ugh. Let me read from pages nine um, in the prologue of I Didn't Survive. I can't tell you how I was able to make it through because I didn't. I didn't survive. The old me died in the play. The old me died in the process. Burned in the fires of trials. I am not the same person today that I was before. People who have a hard time getting out of an abusive relationship are often those who attempt to drag their old selves, their old ways of thinking, through it. I couldn't. I didn't. Like the old phoenix rising from the ashes, a new me arose from the catastrophe of my marriage. This book is about how I learned and grew along the way, despite my mistakes, false perceptions, confusion, and battered self-image. As my understanding grew, I also grew. As my challenges grew, so did my faith. And with this faith, my ability to endure pain. The pain didn't become easier. It never does. But I became stronger. I know some people reading this book may think that I gave up on my marriage, ought to keep my marriage, but I had to learn to let it go. I had to learn that quitting and letting go are not the same thing. I could have been the wife of a Christian hero, but I gave that up. Christian leaders even told me to hide the abuse in my life in order to keep up appearances in order to maintain the advocacy. That life of lies offered a guaranteed income, favored status, and a comfortable lifestyle. But I decided to give it up for truth. I could have continued to mold a public image that people looked up to, and I might have even convinced myself that I was doing it for God. But I gave it all up. When I realized I was an abused wife, I was holding a handful of broken dreams, but not a broken future. My false self was crumbling away, but healing and wholeness were entering into me through my wounds like a light breaks in the walls of an abandoned building. Whoa. Prologue from I Didn't Survive. So, my story's similar. I'll add a couple of things, but there's just so much richness here in this book published in 2023. I didn't survive that I'm going to cite often from it. And I'm going to tell this story in six categories because usually as survivors, these are six things um, that we go through. Okay, first of all, clues. There should have been clues, right? Um, Then people always ask the great why. Why did you marry him? Uh, Number three, into hell. Because the relationship descends into, oh, it's bad. It's really bad. Number four, church abuse. So we're going to put that church abuse into the already awfulness. 
And then we're going to come out of this darkness with some hope and healing that, yes, there's abuse in the church, but there is also hope for real and hope at this very moment, wherever you are in this journey and hope for always. And we end with the sixth idea of what is going on now. So here we go in finding some, um, just some recognition that you are not alone in your journey. And sometimes that just really feels, um, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. It's just to know that I'm not the first person to navigate these waters. So it was so helpful. So have, here we go into clues. Uh, how many do I have? I have four. I have four passages about clues from I clues from I didn't survive. So here's one. I am on page 81. Years later, I would learn that the Assemblies of God leadership in Iran had noticed something in Sayyid that had caused them concern. Brother Andrew, the church's former pastor, had seen Sayyid interact with women in a way that was not appropriate. So Sayyid had been put under church discipline and had not been allowed to attend church services or have any interaction with other church members. There were also concerns about Sayyid's pride and cultish behavior. But all of this was unknown to me at this time. So let's pause here. Yeah, are there clues? Yes, but sometimes you're not even, as the, as the spouse, you don't know what, you, you don't know that this happened because no one has said anything to you. A parallel life. Because there were things I didn't know. Yes, I was right there. But I would have this memory of maybe, hey, we had Thanksgiving dinner. And I would remember very specific details about the day. And come to find out years later, it'd be like, oh, oh, oh. You know, because I didn't know that something else was going on. So, and, and we hear from... Um, oh, I'm going to call her Miss N. Can I just call you Miss N? Because I don't want to butcher this name. So Ms. N, our dear Iranian sister in Christ, who wrote this book, Ms. N. Um, here on page 88, she gives a clue that she was privy to. And I think so many of you could relate to this. Um, she said it. I later pushing those boundaries is something male abusers often do. Pressuring women to go beyond what they are comfortable with sexually, sometimes taking them by surprise in order to do it. So there is a, a clue, but you feel like, oh, I don't, you know, come on, this is, this is a Christian guy. This is, I really, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but I just want you to know that you're not alone. Uh, now I'm running over to page 96, where we get into some uh, degrading conversation, some emotional, emotional abuse. Uh, this reads, this is why no one wanted to marry you, he would joke, referring to both my darker skin and my, quote, advanced age, because I was in my mid-20s. One time he said, you're a fermented pickle. A Persian phrase, he said, you're a fermented pickle. 
a Persian phrase for women who are older and unmarried. In these and other ways, Said had been slowly stripping me of my self-confidence. He would tell me that I needed to color my hair blonde or have plastic surgery to raise my eyebrows or alter the look of my nose and cheeks. He would criticize my weight and my taste in clothes. Because of the emotional bond I had developed with him, Said's comments caused me to become ever more reliant on and attached to him as I sought his approval. Oh, I know you're hearing it out there. I know that you're thinking, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I have one more example where Ms. N takes us to what she entitles uh, in her chapter, The Honeymoon from Hell. In this section, they are married, they're on their honeymoon, uh, they're in a public space, and a woman approaches them because they're part of a tour group. So here's yet another clue that things aren't going to go real swell. Do you need help? She asked me. Her delivery was firm, direct, and without fear. For a moment, she reminded me of my mother. I looked up into her caring eyes as they connected with mine. I don't know what's going on here, but if you need any help, we're here. We are not going to spend this entire time on this boat listening to someone be treated like you are right now. When she finished speaking, she stared at Saeed. It was almost as if she were daring him to say something. She was visually holding words back. Saeed got the point. He never raised his voice on that trip again. Not on that boat and not reconcile with him, he rejected me. I tried hard to make some kind of connection with him, but he was completely removed emotionally. He showed no affection. Okay, so showing no affection on the honeymoon. That might be a clue, you know, but what do you do, right? You're on your honeymoon. This is just, it, it's unreal. It's like a bad movie and you're in it. Um, then, then, then the second big thing that uh, people come up with, you know, by, besides saying, didn't you have a clue? Didn't you see something? Is, well, for heaven's sakes, why'd you marry him? And I know for me, I so desperately was excited about being a team for Christ. I loved Jesus. I had loved Jesus since I was four. And Ms. Ann had found out about Jesus when she loved Jesus since I was four. And Ms. Ann had found out about Jesus when she was eight. And I just feel in reading her book and reading her story that I, I felt such a kinship because we loved the Lord. God was real to us as a child. And we so very much wanted when we married to be a partner with a man of God, to be a team for Jesus. And I'm going to read her experience, which of course is happening in this amazing revival that's going on in her native country of Iran. So here's the team for Jesus aspect. Revival in Iran had has not followed the same pattern as other modern revivals. The revival is not taking place in tents or modern church buildings. Camera crews are not standing by ready to document every service and post it online. 
The leadership is not writing books or teaching seminars about how to have a revival. Instead, the awakening is taking place in homes, as it did in ours. The churches are set up in a series of networks like the one Saeed and I established. The church that we were seeing in our home church, no, I'm sorry, the Christians that we were seeing in our home church were not looking for organized religion. They already had that. They were not looking for programs or financial support. They were not looking for a political group to overthrow the government. Of all the hours I spent in fellowship with our house church, I never heard anyone discuss how to take power from the Ayatollah. They came for one reason, to fall in love with Jesus. So people who love the Lord, doesn't that sound glorious? Doesn't it sound glorious to be part of that? Oh God, I want to be part of that. I want to do work in your kingdom. I, I, I want to, I want people to come to know you. And when that is happening at the same time that this private parallel life is going on, what, how do you make sense of it? What do you do with it? So now I'm taking you to number three, where uh, the relationship, the marriage just really descends so clearly into hellish situations. I have two passages that I'm going to read. Uh, I just find chapter 28's title <clears throat> so much like my own expression of what my life was like. She she titles it an alternate. Okay, I can say this. I can read an alternate alternate universe there it is that she was living in some alternate universe and i feel and i always said that i was living some parallel life um but here is a moment where the marriage has been they've been separated and this is uh an insight into what it's like even when you think you're trying to dare to make a boundary i want to come back home Saeed said in a deep, loving voice over the phone, I really miss you and the kids. I want to put things right and bring our family back together. Mm -hmm. I knew the story. I had seen it before. Saeed would go into a rage, blame it on demonic influence, uh -huh, and then eventually seemed to change, saying he wanted our family together again, I should have known things would not go well, but I was pregnant and wanted my family reunited. I didn't want to be a single mother. I didn't want to be a lonely ex-wife. I want my husband and serve the Lord. I knew the chances that Saeed would change were slim, but I believed in miracles. I had faith. I knew that God could do the impossible. Is anybody out there saying, yep, because I am saying, yep, I have faith. I know what God can do. God's amazing. He can take broken everythings and make brand new. Ms. N and I understood that. And we were like, come on, please, God, please do your God thing, right? And I think what we miss here. And I know what I missed was that God is not going to force another human being to love him and to do what's right. God's not going to force that. 
And I can pray, and I can fast and pray, and I can pray, and I can guttural pray, and I can guttural cry on my, on my face at the altar in the holy church or anywhere. And it still is not going to make God supersede our husband's will. And I named my book Married by Myself for that reason. Because I was working so hard to stay married. I wanted that marriage. I I believed in all of those things. I had these two little children who looked just like their daddy. I wanted them to have a family. I wanted them to have everything that I had. Um, so, yep, that's into the hell of the relationship. I have one more passage, page 161. This passage comes when uh, Mizen and Said and the children are staying at her parents' home. They're living in her parents' home for this period, for this moment of when this happens. So that's where it comes from. They they came home and there had been incredible destruction to the family home and a car parked in the driveway. So uh, a police officer has come and uh, here's where I start to read on page 161. Can we talk with you outside, the officer said to my father as he waved his hand toward the door. I went outside with them. And when we were a safe distance from Saeed, the officer shut his notebook and said, We are seeing a progression, Mr. Panaha, Panahi. He assaulted his Panahi. He assaulted his wife. He has abused their pet. He has destroyed your property. It is only going to get worse if he continues to get away with these things. The next time, someone might lose their life. So people say, didn't you have a clue? And we say, yeah, the marriage was going really badly. There were terrible things that were happening. Oh boy. Oh boy. What do we do with it? So our next category is how the church responded when the desperation was getting pretty objective, when the outside world had a window seat to what was going on privately, um, and then really Ms. N has to make um, a boundary respond. Well, here is a piece I'm reading from chapter 45, and we're on page 247. Franklin Graham, yes, the one you're thinking of, the famous Franklin Graham, has been involved in this couple's life journey and in the effort to release Saeed from an Iranian prison. And Franklin Graham has this personal conversation with Ms. Zant. Can I ask you a question? Franklin said. Tearfully, I answered yes. Are you cheating on Saeed? He asked bluntly. What? Okay. Come on, let's just enjoy that for a minute. Uh-huh. Right, because 
that's what's going on here. Please, my life is horrible. I have, please, my life is horrible. I have private stories and private memories that I've been sitting on for years. And what I need right now is for a man of God to suggest I brought it on myself. Okay. Um, I am just going to stop talking about that right now. That would be best. Let's go to page 264. This description that Ms. N writes is so relatable, so relatable to me about what happens um, when in church uh, decisions after you decide to release yourself or God released both of us. In fact, that was the word. That's kind of cool. Um, release from the marriage. I'm on 264. I was judged to be a liar, an adulteress, and a Jezebel who was trying to take the lead in drawing boundaries with regard to the abuse. Many people were also upset because they hadn't got their happy ending that they were hoping for, seeing our family reunited after Saeed came out of prison. Becoming an outcast in the church was devastating. As each former title was stripped from me and the stones of accusation were thrown at me, I was left bare and bleeding by the side of the road quote, untouchable by religious leaders. Almost no churches or Christian events were interested in contacting me anymore because I was tainted, a disgraceful Christian wife, all for having dared to talk about domestic abuse. I had already canceled most of my speaking engagements, and that was really the way I still wanted it. But at the same time, it was sobering to recognize that I wasn't welcome or, quote, marketable in the world I had been living in for the past few years, or quote, marketable in the world I had been living in for the past few years. Associating with me could cause someone their ministry. I was no longer profitable to be around. Sayid had told me that when he divorced me, that I would become worthless in the Christian community. And in some ways he was correct, but not in the way he thought. It was not because I was now disconnected from his name. It was because I was still connected to it because of the abuse. And people couldn't face that fact about me. They didn't want to be reminded of it. In the midst of this rejection and isolation, I didn't lose my faith. You come on, come on, girl. But I no longer understood who I was. And I no longer knew how God viewed me. God had just rescued me from the slavery of abuse, but now I found myself alone in a wilderness. Wow. Wow. Outcast from the church. Untouchable. Not marketable. Stay away. I, I think I, I wrote in my book, Married by Myself, I wrote that um, the pastors and their wives kind of stayed away from me like somehow divorce was contagious. That's how I had written it. Yep. And one more power punch uh, to the church not doing it right. And that's not to say it never can. And that's not the point of this podcast. This podcast is about breaking the silence so that we can get some healing, so that we can live victorious anyway, so that we can look at a wrong and we can make it right.
let's be part of that. I'm on page 278. On page 278. These experiences, as well as other situations that have stretched and strengthened my faith, have prepared me to confront a different type of bully. Those within the church who are determined to hold on to their power and prestige at the expense of the weak. Women who report abuse often come up against authorities that try to silence them. I had to stand firm in the face, excuse me, in the face of backlash from Christians when my claim of abuse was disbelieved, dismissed, and turned against me. Now I hope to challenge the attitudes in the church that create an environment for neglecting or harming those who are most vulnerable. And this task will take courage most vulnerable. And this task will take courage as well. Oh, you know it, girl. We know it. We know it here on this podcast that it is going to take a measure of courage from us to do the three things, to break the silence, to find the healing, to live victorious anyway. But we're we're about that here. And if you're my listener, you're about that too. And just share this podcast, share this podcast as we build our courage together. And I'd love to hear from you any, any time. Laurie at victoriousanyway.co. Send me an email. Okay, we're almost done here. Almost done. Uh, hope and healing. We're on number five because we're not leaving it here in the crummy, messy ug. Page 267, because God doesn't leave us there, right? Um, this chapter 40 mystery, and this is what our sweet sister is up to now. Just when I thought ministry was over for me, God started to do something new in my life, leading me into a new kind of ministry with a different focus. This ministry was like a, quote, roadway in the wilderness, guiding me into God's unexpected plans for me. And she quotes from Isaiah 43. This time, ministry did not come in the form of a platform within a church or with a famous ministry that is led more by people than by God. It came in the form of helping other women who had been left broken and bleeding and wait for it outside the church walls. Mm hmm. Yep, I know about it, girl. That's why we're in podcast world right now. We are outside those church walls, loving the church, loving God, and wanting to restore all of it, as God would have us do. One more reading uh, for uh, her ministry now. This is page 272. Over the years, I have seen abused and persecuted women whom God has used, TAF, that's her organization, her foundation, to help set free, find their voices. I have watched them move from being in survival mode to having a thriving life and becoming world changers. God helped, God has helped these women through me, uh, one, to get a high position at the Department of Justice and has 
been used, this woman, I'm sorry, I'm messing up this reading. This woman has been used to affect policy regarding domestic abuse and founded their own nonprofits for abused women. Women are helping women who are helping women who are helping women. Mm. Yes. And number six, number six in the story is what's going on now? What's going on now? Where is the the passion and the movement right in this this time period? Where's our thinking shift to? On page 283, the last page of the book, she points out that the rejection that we've felt from the church is known by the hero of the whole book, the hero of the whole story, right? Jesus. So this, this is Mazen's purpose. I also want to speak to the abused, broken, and rejected. You are useful in the master's hand. Even though people have rejected you, he has not rejected or abandoned you. Jesus, too, knows what it's like to be rejected. He will comfort you and strengthen you to build his church. Oh, girl. I'm telling you, podcast folks, you need encouragement from a survivor story. You have got to grab yourself a copy of this book. It's called I Didn't Survive. This podcast, of course, you know, but I'm saying it again and again and again, focuses on three ideas. Break the silence, find the healing, live victorious anyway. Our sister in Christ, author of I Didn't Survive, gives us all hope to be brave and vulnerable as we break the silence on church abuse. Ms. Then shows us, Ms. Then shows us that healing is possible with her own story of surviving and thriving. She lives victorious anyway as do I. You too, friend. You too. Church abuse victims, wherever you are, this show is for you. Be sure to check out our resources at www.victoriousanyway.co. My Break the Silence memoir is called Married by Myself. It's companion journal, Married by Myself Journal to Healing, and the journal Happy Thoughts, a 31-day journal to cultivating joy, are available for purchase along with my offer for four weeks of coaching with one-on-one -on -one time with me. Let this healing begin. We will break our silence. We'll find our healing. And we will live victorious anyway. Hey, friend, if you found hope in today's episode, would you let the world know? Head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I would really love that. Hey, say hello on my Facebook page, Victorious Anyway, as together we break the silence, find the healing, and live victorious anyway. See you next week.